It's Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus has command, had commanded the impure spirits to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And he begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time when Jesus met uh, this demon-possessed man. And we pray that you would teach us now, open our eyes to what it means, and help us to live our lives in the light of who Jesus is and the power he has. Amen. So in these uh, sermons in uh, August, we are looking at times when uh, Jesus met various people. Last week we looked at Nicodemus, this week the demon-possessed man, or one of the demon-possessed men that, that Jesus met. And as we said earlier on, this shapes up to be a good versus evil battle. Well, we're going to think through different people in the story, and the first person that we're going to think about is the demon-possessed man. And I've called this point, uh, the demon-possessed man, uncontainable evil. So if you're filling in the sheet, you could put that down. The demon-possessed man, uncontainable evil. Uh, if you've got one of the notice sheets as well, it's on the back of there, the points. So here's this demon-possessed man. Jesus has travelled across the Sea of Galilee, uh, and he's now in Gentile territory. And as he lands, as they come to shore, he is met by this demon-possessed man. And he would have been a frightening person. He was genuinely demon-possessed. 
Sometimes people now, as they read back of these stories of demon-possessed people, they think, well, maybe it was a misdiagnosis. Maybe actually it was some kind of mental health problem that this man had, but it was misdiagnosed. But clearly this is demon possession. After all, when Jesus deals with him, he casts out demons that go into the pigs. There was clearly a presence there that was moved out and into the pigs. So this is real demon possession. And Luke wants us to see, Luke who wrote this, wants us to see the desperate state that this man is in. What's his condition? Well, we see that he wasn't wearing clothes. Uh, We see that he didn't have a house to live in, but rather lived among the tombs. An unclaimed place, Uh, Jews weren't to associate with dead bodies, or if they touched a dead body rather, they would become unclean. Well, to live amongst the tombs, even though he was a Gentile, would still be uh, seen as an unclean place to be. So he doesn't wear clothes, he's got no house, he lives among the tombs, and he's clearly scary. Verse 29, just have a look down at that. It says, uh, Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to leave the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now, a couple of things there. Just notice the fact that everyone wanted him chained up. I mean, this must have been pretty a horrible person to, to have around and pretty frightening if people have got together and decided, you know what, we need to chain this guy up and put a guard on him. I mean, who would you get to guard this guy? But also the fact that the chains couldn't contain him. There is some supernatural strength here that this demon-possessed man can break chains uncontainable by people, uncontainable evil. Here is a man of nightmares, of horror stories, of childhood uh, terrors, the kind of place where parents would say to their children, don't go near the tombs, but maybe children would dare one another to go close to it. You're going to go to the tombs? You're going to go there? You're going to risk it? A scary place to go, a scary man. Now there's a problem for us as we start this story, isn't there? Which is, we probably find it hard to relate to this man. Often when you read a Bible story, when you read a time when Jesus meets someone, what we want to do at the beginning is to put ourselves in the shoes of the person that Jesus met. We want to read ourselves into the story. Now there's a warning here as well, that actually we've got to be careful when we do that, because actually the Bible is not primarily about you and me, it's primarily about Jesus. He is the hero. He is the star. We need to look at him. But nevertheless, this is something that we try to do often. And when it comes to this demon-possessed man, it's very hard to see ourselves in him, to relate to him. After all, how are you doing at living naked in a cemetery? Yeah, it's probably not what we're doing, is it? And actually, not only am I not like that man, I don't know anyone who is. And maybe you're sceptical. Maybe you think, well, maybe, maybe demon possession doesn't really happen. Maybe it's not actually a thing. Some people would be sceptical about it. How do we respond to that? I got in touch with um, 
Uh, Tom Halls, who's a friend of ours, who's come and preached here. He lives in Australia, in Sydney, in Australia. He's a, an Anglican clergyman, does, has a ministry which uh, goes around the world in different parts, particularly the Far East, uh, where he ministers to different churches and different pastors. And, and I put it to him because I thought, well, he, he knows the world better. He knows what's going on. I said, you know, we're dealing with this passage. We don't really see demon possession in this country. What's your, what's your experience with this? And he said, well, yeah, you, you do see it far more um, in, uh, in Asia, uh, and particularly Southeast Asia. Uh, and he said, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of fact of life out there. And uh, pastors do have to exorcise demons out of people. And he said he's been involved in, uh, in doing that. So it does happen around the world. But maybe not so much around here. But we also need to remember, don't we, that the devil's work is not just limited to demon possession. That's not the only thing he does. His scope of power is far bigger than that. The Bible calls the devil the ruler of this world in John's Gospel. So the Bible is saying the devil is real and he has real power and authority in this world. Which actually does explain why the world is the way it is. Those who dismiss the idea of the devil or that kind of thing can struggle actually to explain the world and particularly the intense evil that we can see around the world. Because people do incredibly evil things at times, don't they? Sometimes on a big scale, as we see in wars, or as we've just been praying about the Far East, we've been praying about China and Taiwan, we've been praying uh, about Ukraine and, and Russia, and, and we see sort of evil on big scale. But sometimes on an individual level, people doing incredibly horrible things to one another. You just read the news and you see instances of it. Now, there are really good things that happen in the world, which isn't surprising because the world is made by a good God and people do incredibly good things for one another, but there's also incredible evil. And actually, the existence of the devil does explain the world and what we see in it. And therefore, it isn't surprising that when Jesus walked on earth, God's son walking on earth, the devil's activity would become more intense that you would see more demon possession. And here we have someone overcome by evil, by these demons. But it's more scary than that. Not just where he's living, not just the condition he's in, not just the incredible strength and scary nature, but also the number of demons in him. You'll have noticed this as it was read. When Jesus asks him his name, verse 30, he replies, legion because many demons had gone into him. Now, a legion is a unit of, uh, of the Roman army. It would have been thousands of soldiers. So by saying legion, well, it brings a kind of military kind of side to this. This is an army that is uh, pitted against Jesus. But it suggests there are thousands of demons in this one man. And the fact that when Jesus casts the demons out, that they go into this herd of pigs, we don't know how big the herd was, um, and that they run down the hillside and die, uh, suggests there are a lot of demons. So this is pitted as a, as a huge battle, isn't it? This, this superhumanly strong guy filled with thousands of demons against Jesus. He is uncontainable, unstoppable, terrifying. And that fits with the context. Would you just have a look at the context of the passage with me as well? 
We, we see in this passage, Jesus versus evil, but in the surrounding passages, you see Jesus tackling other things that we find impossible to master, things that we're afraid will overcome us. So in the previous passage, you'll just see from the heading there, won't you? In, cha- in chapter 8, verse 22, the heading there says, Jesus calms the storm. That is, there was a storm on the lake and the disciples are in a boat and they're frightened that the storm is going to drown them. This is another power that is overwhelming, that people will think, here's something that that we can't deal with, that, that could kill us, that could overwhelm us. But then in the passage after this one, so turn the page again, page 1038, again the heading there, just before verse 40, says Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. Well, they're things that we fear that that can overtake us, that sickness and death. So you've got a little series of stories here of Jesus tackling things we would be terrified could overwhelm us. Because 2,000 years later, we still fear these things. Don't we fear what could happen if the weather gets out of control? Or when we see the evil in the world, or when people we love become sick, or when we become sick, and when people die, these are still things where we go, these are frightening things that we fear might overwhelm us. But we see Jesus tackling them. And what do we see here with Jesus, with this demon-possessed man? Here is evil come against Jesus. Second point. Boys and girls, you might want to fill this in again. So second point, Jesus, the conqueror of evil. Jesus, the conqueror of evil. Like I said earlier, this is the most underwhelming of battles. If you've got this demon-possessed man, thousands of demons in him, coming to Jesus as Jesus steps onto the shore off the boat, this demon-possessed man, you think, here's the battle as he comes to Jesus. He falls on his knees before Jesus. And he says, verse 28, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. That is not a battle, is it? That is someone giving in straight away. But notice, this is uncontainable evil. This is someone people have not been able to contain. Chains weren't able to contain him. And yet he comes to Jesus on his knees. And when Jesus is going to cast him out, he asks Jesus for permission to go into the pigs. He has to ask Jesus' permission. Now, when it comes to those pigs, this is where we could go off the rails a bit. If you're doing a Bible study in a small group, Bible study group, maybe your home group, if you were doing this passage, this is the point at which the the evening goes haywire. Because at this point, someone says, oh, I didn't know animals could be demon-possessed. And then someone else says, oh, well, that explains something. Yeah, we had a pet once that... uh, yeah, maybe that explains that. And then someone else said, ah, but this is cruelty to animals. And, the, and basically at that point, the Bible study leader might as well just pack up and go home. You see, there are a whole load of questions there that we might have, which actually the passage just doesn't answer. And we could get sidetracked away from actually the main point. And the main point here is Jesus' sovereignty, isn't it? His control, his power, this uncontainable evil is just at his command. Here is the power of Jesus. 
And Jesus does cast out this demon, these demons, but it isn't final judgment. Do you notice in verse 31, the demons, they beg Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. Now, Jesus ordering them into the abyss, that would be final judgment, which they know is going to happen at some point, these demons. They know Jesus has the power to do it. But Jesus doesn't do that yet. He doesn't order them into the abyss. But we do know later on in the Bible, as you get to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, which we've looked at not that long ago, you see Jesus finally judging the devil and casting the devil uh, uh, into uh, the lake of burning sulfur. Which is saying, this is a little foretaste in this passage with Jesus casting out these demons. This is a little foretaste of what is going to happen. And the demons know it. That one day Jesus will deal with all evil. He will deal with all injustice. And they won't be able to stand against him. One day all evil, evil tyrants, abusers, people traffickers, and all the evil forces behind them will be judged. And Jesus will deal with them. Of course, the greatest triumph of Jesus against the devil is not here in this passage, but is at the cross. And the New Testament does tell us, teaches us, that at that moment, as Jesus died on the cross, that was a defeat of the devil. If you want a passage to look at, jot down this reference. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. We won't go into it uh, in detail. We won't read it. But if you want to look at it later, do. Because that ties together Jesus' death on the cross and the defeat of the devil. Let me give you that reference again. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. So you have a look at that later on. How is the cross Jesus' greatest defeat of the devil? Well, because the the devil had hold of something that belongs to Jesus, and Jesus wanted it back. What is it that the devil had that Jesus wanted back? People. Us. Us. Because all people, whether they know it or not, the Bible tells us to follow the devil, are blinded by him to Jesus' glory and belong to him. That is true of all mankind. But we think, well, couldn't Jesus just demand people back? Couldn't he just say, if he's got this much power over demons and the devil, couldn't he just say, no, I want people back? Couldn't he just demand it? Well, the devil keeps hold of people not just by his own power, but because of our sin. And it would be unjust of Jesus to demand our release. Let me give you an illustration of this. Let's say uh, your car has been towed away and locked up because you parked it somewhere you shouldn't. And it's your wrongdoing that means your car has been locked up. You can't just demand your car to be released. And someone with higher authority shouldn't just demand that your car be released because they know you. That would be unfair. That would be unjust. The only way for the release, in a just way, is for the payment to be made. So with us, we are held captive by the devil because of our sin. 
It is our sin that gives him the power to hold us. If Jesus were just to demand our release, then an injustice would be done. And Jesus is holy and cannot do injustice. And so the debt needs to be paid. The ransom must be paid. So we can be set free, which Jesus did on the cross. He paid the price for our freedom. The cross was the great triumph of Jesus over the devil's plans. And through it, people today can be set free from sin and from the devil's grasp. Here is Jesus, the conqueror of evil. Well, we need to come to the responses. We've seen the demon-possessed man. We've seen Jesus, the conqueror of evil, as he just casts out these demons. But we need to come to the responses, the people who respond to Jesus. And there are kind of two groups of people who respond to Jesus. Well, one group and one person. And the two responses are fear or faith, as you see on the screen. Fear or faith. You see, this response of fear by the people, I think, is surprising. Did you find it surprising? Maybe you know the story, so you're not so surprised by it. But I think it is surprising that the people were afraid. Verse 34, those tending the pigs saw what had happened. They ran off, reported it in the town and countryside. The people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. I think that's surprising. Here you've got Jesus has dealt with this man, dealt with this person they couldn't deal with, they couldn't contain. He is now uh, dressed in his right mind. He's not, nothing to be afraid of. And the people are afraid now of Jesus. And they asked Jesus to leave. Why do they ask him to leave? Maybe they're afraid that he'll ruin their livelihoods. More animals will be lost. Or maybe it's that they see that they were afraid of the demon-possessed man and the power he had. But Jesus clearly has a bigger power. And therefore they're now afraid of him. Well, in the surrounding passages, you see, actually, fear is a common reaction. Just cast your mind back, cast your eyes back to uh, the, 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 when Jesus calms the storm. So, uh, in chapter 8, uh, Jesus calms the storm, and you see faith and fear are, um, uh, are put against one another juxtaposed against one another so verse 25 after Jesus has calmed the storm they thought they were going to drown Jesus said where is your faith he asked his disciples and they respond in fear and amazement they're afraid afraid of Jesus and now in this passage Jesus casts out the demons the people are afraid go over the page uh, to the, the the woman who's uh, healed of her sickness she does it surreptitiously she does it sort of secretly touching Jesus's cloak uh, and Jesus calls her to come forward verse 47 then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed came trembling fell at Jesus's feet 
She's frightened. She's afraid. But Jesus says, verse 48, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He can't have her afraid. He wants her to have faith, to trust, to know it's her faith that's dealt with this. Fear and faith. But also with Jairus, uh, whose daughter uh, dies. And what does Jesus say to Jairus? Verse 50. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. You've got faith and fear keeps coming up over and over again. The people afraid of Jesus. But the man from whom the demons were cast out, he's a man of faith, isn't he? After all, when they come and they find him, when they see him, he is sat at Jesus' feet. Which teaches us that actually the way of faith is to sit at Jesus' feet, to submit to him. He doesn't free people from evil just to go, but to come and be at his feet. Fear drives Jesus away, but faith comes and draws close to Jesus. I wonder how you respond to this. How do you respond to Jesus? There is much in this world of which we might be afraid. Some of us are fearful, aren't we? So fearful, uh, some people don't even leave their homes. Some can't rest because of fears. Fears for ourselves, fears for our children or grandchildren, fears about the future, fears of catching illness, fears of what others may do to us, fears of what others may think of us. There are a whole load of things that bind us, that keep us uh, constrained, and we are often bound with fears. And yet here is Jesus in absolute and total authority and sovereign power. Evil knows it has no hope of defeating him. We could push Jesus away, as the people did, out of fear. Or we could be like this man and come and sit at Jesus' feet. What better, safer place could there be? And if you're a Christian, can I suggest that we sometimes forget at whose feet we sit, that he has the power and the authority. And so we still live our lives in fear, don't we? It's as if we sit at Jesus' feet, but with our eyes just on the world around us, on our troubles, on the things we're afraid of, when what we need to do is lift our eyes to Jesus and remember who he is and the power he has and the love he has and take comfort in him. We sometimes, when we come to church, sometimes people will say, oh, you need to leave your fears and worries at the door and come in, come to God. Now, I can understand why people might say that. There is a danger there, though, that people might think, well, church has nothing to do with real life out there. And my fears, my worries, my concerns, we leave them at the door, but the problem is that we go back out of the doors when we leave and we can pick them up again. No, actually, what we need to do is to bring them in. Bring our fears in to God, to Jesus. Bring them before him and lift our eyes to him 
and see his power and his authority and see our fears in the light of who he is, to be transformed in here, to go out, to live as people of faith.